Hello, hello, and welcome back. You are tuning in to the Anne and Ev podcast. I am one of your hosts, Evan Transu. And I'm Anna Crescitelli. Thank you guys for checking us out again. This is technically the first real episode. We're going to be talking about all things diet, nutrition, holistic health, spirituality, things that we think need to be kind of changing and things that we want to see shift in the world on this podcast. Tonight, we're going to start out very appropriately with something more diet related, because that's definitely very much in alignment with both the backgrounds of Anna and I. If you haven't checked out the intro podcast yet, you can definitely go feel free to do that. Um, We talk about some cool stuff on there, kind of give you a little background about who we are and what's going on. But Anna, I know inevitably people are not necessarily going to do that. So maybe just give <laughs> a little background each really quick, and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, obviously, the title of this podcast is saying, you know, what's the number one diet? What's the best diet? And we kind of have different opinions on food in general, but I think we overlap in a lot of places. So why should people listen to you? Like, what do you know about diet? I know you have different certifications. Like, maybe you could share that with them first and foremost. Um, okay, so I am technically certified in um, level one macrobiotics, which means that I did the first month at um, the Cushy Institute in Massachusetts. Um, I don't believe it's there anymore. Um, I believe their school programs got moved to a different location or they're partnering with another school, but that's um, the first thing I did. And then I also have a certification in integrative nutrition like Evan and um, basically macrobiotics is um, it's kind of the way of eating in balance and eating with the seasons and a lot of grains um, more on the vegan side they do eat fish and stuff like that um, and then I also am certified in herbalism so that's kind of my thing that I'm doing and then um, yeah, I just kind of practice on my own a lot at home and, um, within my own space. I don't really have a full, um, practice of my own yet, but I'm have Anne's plants, which is my little skincare, um, herbal company, which is really nice. So that's kind of just a little bit about me. Yeah. And that's, and that's the major thing I wanted to get across. It's like, we definitely, um, this is not our first rodeo when it comes to stuff like this. We kind of eat, sleep, breathe this stuff. And yeah, for me, so me and Anna, we do overlap in one area with the certifications. We are both certified, like she said, with the Institute for Integrated Nutrition, which is kind of a cool place because there's definitely a bias and lean towards one specific type of eating there. But they also do, I mean, I think we learned, what is it like? You learn like 50 to 100 different dietary theories there. So you learn some really mainstream stuff and then you learn some stuff that the average person would have just never even thought of, never heard of. Um, what's the one? Is it like the cabbage soup diet? Like that was big at one point. I don't know. Oh yeah. I, both of my parents have actually done that. And to me, I don't know, you know me, I used to do like extreme dieting and I used to do stuff for ballet and all of that jazz. And honestly, extreme dieting, I just don't think works. I think your body gets really out of whack and it's like, dude, you got to chill out. I'm freaking out. And I have no idea what's happening right now. And it just kind of shuts down. And I think that's when people's hormones get really, you know, messed up because they're jumping from things like, oh, the cabbage soup diet. Well, what is that exactly? Like, what do you have to, I mean, obviously cabbage soup's involved, but what is like the exact protocol? Like, I'm not, I don't remember. I think it's, 
Oh, hold on. I'm trying to remember. So I think it's like day one, you only have cabbage soup. And then day two, you only eat this. And then day three, I think it's, you know, you do it for maybe three weeks. I don't know if that's longer or shorter than originally, but you basically only eat a specific food or food group for each day, I think. Yeah, and it's like extraordinarily restricted, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, you lose weight on it. But the problem with that is, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when you're losing weight, you're actually losing water weight. Um, so yeah, naturally, it's gonna look, you know, you're gonna be happy because you're thinking, oh, my God, well, I just lost like five pounds in the first, you know, two weeks. And it's like, well, also, you know, you're eating foods that if people putting are putting together a specific program, they might think, well, this food won't bloat you this will go through you quicker and you know you'll poop it out sure sure uh... yeah and then um for me i also have a certification with functional diagnostic nutrition that's based out of san diego and which is so cool right yeah and the certifications and the degrees on both of our ends like that's great and that's cool but the real thing that i think that matters is like when you why does anyone look for a new diet or quote unquote the perfect diet they're looking for results in either health or weight or both of those things. And I think that's where we really thrive is that we have actual health results um, by utilizing different diets, different eating. Um, I know for myself, I mean, I know you've experienced a ton too, but like I consider my changes profound with the things that have happened to me because of how I changed eating. So um, the only reason we went into that is just because I think you guys as listeners deserve to know, hey, well, who are these people and, and why are they qualified to even be sharing what they think the perfect um, diet is? So I kind of, you know, because again, me and you could just talk about this one probably for 10 hours straight. Um, oh, yeah. I love that we, you we'll get the a cabbage obsessed. diet offhand. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but so for you, how did this start out? Like, what were you looking to do when you first like what's your first time, I guess, as Anna? figuring out like oh you know what i'm going to start being conscious and editing my diet because there is a whole bunch of people in the world probably a, you know, either the majority or maybe like 50 50 it kind of is that never think about the food that's going into their body and how it affects them so when did that kind of start for you um i honestly was probably um i think i was probably around 12 when i really maybe even 11 when i really was noticing um, you know, getting into food restriction, I guess, and kind of worrying about exactly what I was eating all the time and getting really clean with eating. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the intro podcast, but I did do ballet for a really long time. And I think that from ballet, you know, being in a leotard all the time from a young age, and, you know, my friends and I talk about this, it really puts a lot of pressure on you to eat a certain way. You know, sometimes your teachers, um, they'll tell you you know oh you need to lose weight or you um I went on an audition one time and um the teacher told me that I had like really big shoulders and I needed to push them down farther and I was thinking well I really can't push them down any farther than I already am it's just because you know I have a different body shape so I kind of started really monitoring my eating and I think I became really obsessed with just food and um then it kind of evolved into okay, well, not only how is this food to make me look, but how is it going to make me feel? And I think that's when I really became obsessed with food as a healing source. Um, 
and started watching documentaries. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched Forks Over Knives or um, oh, what's the other one called? Um, Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. I mean, those are just very eye-opening and those are based, you know, around veganism and fruits and vegetables and juicing. And, you know, I'm not a vegan anymore, but um, those are really great insights into the plant-based world. And, you know, I think it's important that we do eat a lot of plants. Um, you don't necessarily have to be vegan or a vegetarian, but I think making sure that your diet includes a lot of vegetables um, is important. And Ev, I know you have a different viewpoint as far as meat and stuff go I know that we were um friends when I was I'm pretty sure we were friends when I was vegan or vegetarian um well when we first met I was not only a vegetarian I was I was on and off vegan for a year so what that looked like for me is I would eat eggs about two to three times a week um and that other nine to ten months I was I was a vegan and I think I like I would cheat with meat and I counted I think it was eight or nine times in it was like once a month basically that I would either like eat steak at Chipotle or something like that but no I I was doing that at one point and that was fresh out of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition because that's what I was kind of saying like I mean you've experienced that same thing with them it's like yes they do teach all these dietary theories and they don't necessarily point to one and say okay this is clearly the best but I think anyone Okay, if you're listening to this, our apologies. We got cut off there. So we're going to jump right back into it. I was just saying, I think, and um, how there's kind of a clear bias, would you agree, like at the IIN towards more vegetarian veganism, whether for better or for worse, you know, that is just, again, they, they teach all these theories, but I think that's what most graduates leave with. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it's definitely a lot of... Um... You know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of Ayurveda in there. I think it's honestly, sometimes I felt like it was kind of what the, um, what would you call it? The founder um, of the school, what he kind of preferred with his diets. But, you know, I think too much of anything is just bad. Um, I know people, you know, when I was at school, there were, um, there's probably a couple women there that they just started going crazy about what they were eating because you know there's some rules in macrobiotics not even rules kind of just how a a guideline of what how they would eat and um that would be that um you know you have to watch your portions and then you know like one day the the woman even said to me she was saying oh well are you worried that that's gonna be too much food and she was you know get like losing a lot of weight and um you know, some people that's, it's a very healing diet where people that have cancer and a lot of um, really terrible problems, you know, my friend Bill, um, he went there, he's actually from here where I'm from, uh, Doylestown. And um, um, well, what is I mean, if you want to, because I, I mean, that's what the whole this episode's about. Like, I don't think the I don't think that one's as mainstream as others. Like, can you explain like, what are some foundational and like fundamental principles for macrobiotic dieting? So it's basically, um, you know, it's kind of eating local with the seasons. Um, I'll try to do it briefly. So say it's winter time. Um, it's all depending on your climate. So we'll say it's winter time here in PA. So it's cold out. It was snowing earlier and it's dropping really low temperatures at night. So naturally you're not going to want to eat, you know, a fruit smoothie with tropical fruit and like a green salad with cucumber and avocado and um, 
you know, I personally, you know, and I think it's fine. I love to eat avocado in the winter. I think that's totally fine. But they say, um, you know, like cucumbers are very cooling on the body and salad is cooling on the body and things that are have cooler temperatures where in the winter you should be eating more um, root vegetables because they're hardier. You know, greens are very light and um, they don't provide the warmth that you need alone. So I think that if you're going to eat greens, you know, put them in a, in a hot soup or put them in your pasta that is warm, you know, and there's different types of things where, you know, hot pasta in the winter and um, cool pasta salad in the summer, because it's kind of all about just creating a nice temperature within your body to withstand the weather which so that's one thing that they really like. And when I was at the school, you know, there, it was in the dead of winter. I went in January and um, it was freezing. It was so cold and they did not have, you know, we didn't eat um, raw salad. We didn't really eat. We only had like maybe a couple, maybe like one raw veggie at dinner. And sure. uh, the other thing was, you know, really, um, you know, cooked salad. So it was, you know, just blanched or boiled greens with seasoning and um I mean, it's a really beautiful way of eating, but I also think the other thing about macrobiotics is it's, it's difficult to create at home. You know, I kind of got home and I was like, oh, well, this is very hard to create at home. So that's kind of an extreme diet where it's great for healing and it's a really great benefit for healing really crazy diseases. You know, you don't need to really necessarily go on it for a cold, but if you have cancer or something, you know, that's a great thing to go on to, but I personally think that eating with the seasons is good. Um, I feel better eating that way. This winter, I've kind of committed to eating more along with that idea. And honestly, I think it really helps me personally. I feel really great doing it because um, I used to be the person to um, make smoothies in the winter. And Ev, I'm pretty sure you did that too at one point. Um, yeah. And it's like one of those things where I'm not totally opposed pose that stuff but i like to use some common sense with these things and one of the things that this is just never talked about i shouldn't say never but not nearly enough in the diet community um is the weston a price foundation and the work of weston a price himself and so weston a price was actually a dentist and he was a researcher early 1900s or late 1800s i believe uh right around that area might have been both maybe that's why i'm thinking like that (laughs) what he did basically was he was on a vegan, you know, kind of push. And people think vegan some new thing. It is absolutely not, especially throughout the last 150 years. There's been multiple times where that kind of diet has been pushed um, by certain groups of people. So the reason that he became a nutritional researcher, even though he was a very successful dentist, had a good practice, is he had, if you've heard some of my other podcasts, you know that one of my like aha moments that I didn't even realize was an aha moment was like 16 years old. Oh, I think we said this on the intro podcast. At 16 years old, I asked myself, why is everyone so sick? And what's really interesting is that Weston A. Price had a similar question just from a dentist's perspective. He was asking, why are people's teeth so messed up? Mm-hmm. Why, why are their jaws so out of order? How, why are they getting these cavities? Things like that. And his thing was, and it's not like you could prove this, but it's like he was thinking, what did people do before dentistry? People's teeth were just falling out at 20 years old. Like it didn't really it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think of it like that, when you know that, you know, we have certain uh, 
you know, mummies or bodies and you know, things that we found that prove that certain people lived 70, 80 years old, you know, 2000, 3000 years ago. So what they were doing that without teeth, like it just didn't really make sense. And we know that wasn't true. So he was trying to figure out what are we missing? Like, what are we doing in the modern world? And remember, this isn't even today's modern world where things are crazy. We're talking about early 1900s. So he went around and he studied over 14 indigenous tribes from every continent except Antarctica. So he went down to the equator. Uh, he went up to Switzerland, I believe. He was in Australia. Uh, I want to say Costa Rica as well. Um, in Nunavut, Canada, the Inuits. And he studied all these people. And you can, I mean, his work is well documented if you know what to look for. Again, the Weston A. Price Foundation. And by the way, go on and look up pictures Weston A. Price tribes and things like that. When you see how these people look, and they are off the grid tribes that did not have any access to modern technology at that time. Their teeth are perfect because that's what the pictures are all of. He's like kind of focusing on that. They look vibrant. They look great. I mean, their jaws are literally flawless. Mm -hmm. And here's what he found. 95% of the tribes that he studied, because it was the 14 major ones is what he did. And then there were more after that. Um, 95% not only were not vegan, like he thought, they ate meat and not only meat, because we think about meat as the organ meats, you know, you go to the store, buy ground beef or something like that. They ate organ meats, not just the muscle. I think I just said organ meats, right? I meant muscle meats. They weren't eating the muscle meats. They were eating organ meats, intestine, brain, heart, liver, things like that. He was totally shocked. This isn't what he was looking for. And then that last 5%, still no vegans, vegetarian. And where were the vegetarians? They were down, I believe it was an Amazonian tribe right on the equator kind of area. Now, mm -hmm. why would it be that these people were eating in this kind of way? Well, it turns out you go to the science about this stuff. It's very, very clear now because when he was up in the Inuits in um, very northern Canada, these people, I mean, for those that don't know, this is sub-zero temperatures. I think the majority of the year, you know, it's barely even getting up past 30, 40 degrees ever. And they were eating 90 percent of their diet as animal fat whale blubber seal like stuff that you would never even think of like 90 percent of their diet and they had people that were documented living to 100 over 100 years old now how could something like that be happening well it turns out our bodies are constantly adapting we actually know where we're at geographically and so when we talk about seasonal i love that you brought that up with macrobiotics because we know on a cellular level our mitochondria knows what to do. When we're exposed to the cold, it makes it easier to go into a state of ketosis. And ketosis is fat-burning mode. It's a mode that you would go into if you were experiencing a famine for times, like you couldn't eat for multiple days. Isn't it amazing? The body knows it's cold. Oh, wait, you might have less access to food. We're going to go into that state. And that is a perfect state to be in for eating a higher-fat, moderate-protein diet. Because guess what? If you're living in Nunavut, Canada, or even... You know, people don't think about it, but we live in um, southeastern Pennsylvania. It gets freaking cold here. It's getting chilly right now in January, February. It's going to be cold. You're not going out and harvesting brown rice. There, there's nothing out. There might be snow all over the ground. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. going to have to kill an animal if you can even find it. And so that's kind of the thing with that. And then the equator, we know now um, sunlight, especially UV, actually regulates our insulin mm -hmm. and blood sugar as well. 
So it's kind of amazing. I don't mean to go off on a huge tangent there, but there's so much. I love finding the common sense stuff and then matching the science because when there's common sense behind it, when there's history behind it and science, then I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. And with the seasonal type eating and geographic type eating, Weston A. Price is the common sense. Here's the proof in the pudding. These people didn't have research studies. They were eating intuitively. They were eating off the land. And then on top of that, you have the science to kind of back up now in the last 20 years what he was saying all the way back then. So that's the last thing I'll say about that. But that's kind of how I found the seasonal um, stuff and where I stand nowadays. Well, and think about how it used to be back in the day anyway. You know, I mean, um, I love to use the Native Americans as an example because I really think that they knew what the fuck they were doing. Um, (laughs) Yep. um, But, you know, all spring and summer and late fall um and even in any culture but i'll just use them as an example you know they had this really beautiful way of harvesting and saving and preserving and then when winter came you know even not even just winter but you know summer they're hunting animals and saving the meat and using it to have pelts for winter you know and same thing with um lots of different cultures you know um even certain people having specific celebratory things for, you know, the harvest, you know, in pagan and Wiccan cultures, they have um, the harvest at, at fall and they celebrate and put all their, you know, all the things that they've been growing um, away for winter. And I think it really is, you know, I don't think that eating with the seasons has to be something that's so like, what's the word taboo or anything. I think it's mm-hmm. just, um, we're just in a world now where you can have easy access to anything. You know, we have DoorDash and grocery stores and um, tropical food stores and Asian markets and um, Italian markets and different places. And I just think that it's so easy for us to access all of that, that we've lost the harvest and or seasonal way of eating. Um, but, you know, it makes sense. I mean, somebody who lives in Kauai, Um, is not going to be eating whale blubber and tons of animal fat and meat because they're going to feel sick because they live in a tropical climate where they have access to different um, fruits. And, you know, a lot of people, I watch a lot of um, raw vegan families on YouTube and, you know, a lot of them live in very tropical areas. It's, I find it very, I would find it very difficult to try to be raw vegan living in Pennsylvania. Um, Just for me personally, at least I find that, um, you know, I require, I'm a cold person. I have cold hands and feet and I'm always freezing. And I just feel like eating cold smoothies and salads, um, how some people are eating, you know, cause they live in a different climate. You know, I think it's nice. It's a nice thought to try to adapt to that, but, um, I think you have to be eating a little more grounding, um, more hearty fatty foods, for sure when you live in a cool a cooler climate i mean you just have to that's the way that it should be done and that's what's super cool about living actually where we live because if you're smart with it we really do have both extremes Mm -hmm. you know like we we can go i mean okay i'm not necessarily for the carnivore diet or anything like that but i do think that we would have a natural tendency to probably do that for about two to three months out of the year up here because there's just not much else going on and sure maybe add in the root vegetables whatever but there's not a whole lot else to get like you'd have to eat something and i love that you 
brought up the Native Americans. I didn't know that you were into that type of stuff. I love Native Americans for a lot of reasons. That could be a whole separate podcast. I just love their belief system and the things that they believe about nature, God, the universe. Um, they got some far out beliefs, but what you find is like they're almost universal and just set in different ways. Like those people were definitely more advanced than us, than us, excuse me, in a lot of ways, even though they might seem primitive. And also the other thing that they did with the animal, um, because they, same thing, they ate primarily organ meats and they fed the muscle meats to the dogs. And we know mm-hmm. now, I, because I didn't say this when I was given my Weston A. Uh, Praise Foundation spiel. I should have mentioned that. The science behind the organ meats, guys, that's where all the major vitamins and nutrients are. Mm-hmm. Liver, beef liver is one of the absolute most nutritious foods that you could possibly eat, but no one's going to tell you that. You go back to the 1960s, you could go to almost any grocery store in America and you could buy brain. You could buy, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the major stuff that was there. I mean, I know that you could do stuff with liver as well, but you could buy organ meats even back then this is very recent that we've lost that knowledge that was intuitively known to our ancestors that this is where the good stuff is this is where the nutrients are and i'm not saying it's the most um appealing thing to think about but i think that just shows how domesticated we are because isn't it amazing how we are the fact that me and Yuana are sitting here on this podcast talking about this is actually ridiculous. This should be one of the most fundamentally intuitive things that a human being does. And we have now had to break break this down. And I love science, but we've had to break this down to a science to try to figure out what the hell we should be eating when this should be as common sense as common sense can be. Well, I agree. I think that it's hard when you I mean, it is hard when you grow up in this culture of it is diet culture. You know, people, I said this in the first podcast, people don't really know how to listen to their bodies and pay attention without, and I hate to say it, but without the advice from a doctor or a nutritionist or a this and a that. And I think it's great that we have those things because obviously we need them for really, you know, crazy cases of disease or things like that. But there are some things that I just know for a fact that I think people are just kind of telling you you should eat. Um, there was a diet a long time ago. Uh, I was probably maybe 14 that I was trying to eat this way and it was just not enough food for me. It was a very restrictive, I forget what it was. I think it was kind of similar to the South beach diet or something. I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was exact. It was just a very restrictive diet calorie wise. Um, I personally don't do well counting calories or, um, counting macros Um, The only thing I ever have done counting calories wise is to make sure that I'm eating enough. So when I pass like over 2,500 calories, I honestly, I pat myself on the back. I'm like, okay, great. Like this is good because before I would eat really hardly any calories. Um, But, you know, I think people get stuck and focused on calorie numbers or they get focused on, well, people say I should eat this because this is going to make me lose weight. Well, The truth is that sucks is when you're cutting out food groups, you're going to lose weight anyways. I mean, it could even be, even if you're cutting out a healthy food group, say somebody that's part of the thing with, I see with veganism is, and not all vegans are like this. And, you know, I was vegan too. And I appreciate veganism because I think it's important to have justice for the animals. You know, we kind of, we're living in a world where animals are not treated fairly and, you know, they're horrifically slaughtered. And I think it's terrible. Um, But 
you know, there was a time even with veganism that you're cutting out so many things. Um, and I don't mean just the meat and the dairy products. If I'm talking about people that are cutting out oil and salt and carbs, and I'm thinking, well, what are you going to eat then? And if you're not even cook, if you're not even adding salt to your food and you're becoming afraid of salt, that to me is making food into a religion almost. And I don't like that because I think that food is meant to be enjoyed. And, you know, I, I always think about the people, um, in Europe and Italy, you know, Italy, France, that kind of area, uh, where food is their whole culture. Um, and they just sit, they'll sit at dinner for like six hours and hang and laugh and drink and eat food with their friends, but they are not, you know, they're not fat. And that's because they look at food as, you know, part of the enjoyment not not stressing about it nor you know being gluttonous and eating and stuffing their faces they're just enjoying it and I think that that's where it comes in that we need to do more of that because it gets very almost religious it's almost like well I can't eat that because this does that and I can't do this because this does this to me and this does this and it's like oh my god honey if you just relax and eat a little bit more normally and not have to worry about everything all the time I think you would probably lose more weight that way than being stressed out all the time because you know Ev you know this stress causes you to um causes fat storage you know a lot of times people that are really highly stressed out they have a harder time losing weight because your body's almost in survival mode like oh my god I need to I'm so stressed out and all these things are happening so I'm gonna keep the weight on because it feels like I'm in flight or fight mode you know Right, right. And so, you know what, because me and you, um, so for the listeners, just so they know, like, especially in the beginning here for this podcast, Ann and I are kind of on the thought process of like, you know what, like, we're basically just taking our normal conversation and putting it on a podcast. And I think that's great in a lot of ways. It makes a very like natural bounce back off each other kind of flow. But something I realized, you know, I just totally miss is um, because you brought it up with like, you know, the animals being slaughtered, things like that. Something I should bring up is that me and you, and we definitely both agree on this, is organic food is superior in so many ways. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. And yet you will never catch me dead eating some type of factory farm meat nowadays. I've actually passed a factory farm when uh, my buddy Jake and I were driving through Texas one time. It's like one thing to see it on line or on the YouTube videos or whatever. When you see this in person, you're kind of just like, how the hell are people driving by this every single day on their way to work and saying that that's normal? Mm-hmm. Because, again, even if you were the you know total jerk, didn't care about the quality of life of the animal at all, you would think you would be able to use the common sense to tell like, okay, these animals are obviously not healthy and you're getting served, you know, their, I mean, the food that they make. So, again, you could care zero percent about the animals and still realize that factory farming is an absolutely insane and stupid thing to do um they're they're malnourished they're Mm -hmm. pumped with hormones if they're especially cows things like that and the whole reason they get the antibiotics loads of antibiotics because in the 1950s farmers realized that it would pump them up with fat yeah and well that and also take into account you know not just the physical fattening of the animal but the 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 energetic fattening of the animals well i mean you're eating you're consuming a creature that died in absolute fear in absolute terror was not respected you know um when i think about this i think about if you guys have seen the movie avatar where um 
the guy Jake Sully he's a he just became an avatar and he's in the woods and he starts shooting all these animals and he um and the girl I feel like her name's Natiri I can't remember but she shoots one of the animals and he's obviously um he's dying but he's not dead yet and she um has to kill him but she does it in a respectful way and they have this whole prayer that they say when they kill an animal and um you know she's saying it's a waste that these animals died they didn't have to and I just think that that's a good message where you know going back to when animals were killed I I don't even want to say humanely because I do agree with you know it sucks it's terrible when animals are you know of course they want to live and they don't want to be killed but I think there's a way that is honoring the animal and the way that people do it I just it's just not okay I mean they're they're cutting off baby chicks beaks and throwing them in these grind like it's just not okay and it's not um I mean I've seen this horrible documentary it's on YouTube it's called Earthlings you guys can watch it if you want I feel that everybody should see it but you know it puts you in tears because we all I feel for the most part, most people do have that heart for animals, but you know, it's just so disheartening to see. I mean, there was a, there's people that kick and hurt these animals before they kill them. And I know that there's a video that just came out about two assholes who were hunting and they hurt a deer and they like ripped its antlers off and were kicking it in the face. And I'm just like, how, I just, I don't know how you disrespect another living creature like that. Whether you want to consume meat or not, you should not let an animal be treated that way if you're gonna eat meat it should be coming from a source that is not so cruel that is not keeping animals locked up I just it's not normal you know it's just it's so inhumane to me and it disgusts me and I really I don't even really eat meat I eat eggs from my chickens um and I do eat fish but I don't I don't go to fast food places and get meat products I don't do that I think it's terrible and people don't realize how bad it is until you know they're sitting there in front of a movie screen crying because they have to watch these poor babies get slaughtered like that and I just don't agree with it at all but then people want to support McDonald's that is terrible and they don't respect their animals and that's the problem with the food is it's not respected food you know there's processed foods there's slaughtered animals you're putting that in your body and like i was saying before these you're eating an animal that the energy of the animal that was just slaughtered is so terrible how can you even feel good putting that into your body it's not it's not healthy for you it's not healthy for them it's an exchange of bad energy it's really not good for the environment i mean it's just there's so many problems with it in general whereas um you know, back in the day, there was a butcher and, you know, my grandparents, they said that they would go to the butcher when they're younger. And then if the butcher ran out of meat, you didn't get meat that day. You had to go home and make something else because the meat was gone. And now you go to the grocery store and there's just tons of food that's going to waste because it's an overstock, you know? Right, right. And yet yeah, the energy thing is so they know for a fact that you know cows that are living under like chronic stress for example the meat is so much more tender it has less um nutrients like it's tough is what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. and that just makes sense right because obviously we're just generally tense when we're stressed out all the time um and then going back to the native americans i mean i think this was just a group of 
I mean, not that they don't exist necessarily, but I just don't think it, they exist in the same way that they used to. Uh, just a group of race of humans, whatever you want to call them, um, however you want to categorize them, I should say. It's it's one of those things where like they worshipped the animals still. And they used, like, I think you mentioned this, every single part of the body, every mm-hmm. single part, including the mm-hmm. bones, was used for something beneficial because they still valued, they had this spiritual aspect of you're still taking a being's life. So I always want to be very clear on that. And one of the things for me, because I went, again, I went vegetarian and then I basically went, it was vegan. And people are like, oh, what was it? Craft vegan, whatever. No, I mean, Anna could attest to this herself. This is organic. I was still buying local. I'm buying from my grocery store that I love, Kimberton Whole Foods up in Oxville, Pennsylvania. That place is absolutely great. And again, it's pretty bang. local farm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm doing the right thing thing because again yeah you can go vegan and you can just start eating vegan um you know whatever vegan cookies like there is that exists out there and no i wasn't really big on the processed food and things like that like that's not what i was doing and for me personally not for everyone ever for me personally it wasn't working and i had created this huge thing in my mind where i felt so terrible i'd been like kind of guilted into this idea of like you know, killing an animal for any reason is totally wrong. And the biggest thing that made sense to me is that I couldn't imagine going out and going on a hunt or killing one myself. So I said, obviously, I shouldn't be eating this. But the problem was this. And this is where I think we have a huge issue with the kind of domestication of human beings. We've lost our intuition in so many categories, including food. Well, okay. You know, having having incorporated meat back into my life and changing my diet around to fit a more seasonal thing, I, I thrive off fatty meat and now i know my metabolic type as well i do something called metabolic uh typing for diet now it's uh invented by a guy named bill walcott if you guys can find a more science-based and more technical diet than that please feel free to send it my way because i've studied a lot and i have not found anything with more backing than that and i think the problem is it's actually so in-depth that it turns a lot of people off um the book itself is like 300 400 pages that he originally wrote and that thing, it's not like most of these books, right? Like you can learn everything you needed to know about veganism, vegetarianism, paleo in the first chapter. And then there's just a bunch of fluff. Like this is going so deep into, you know, the part of the autonomic nervous system you're favoring, whether it's parasympathetic or sympathetic and all these different things that you have going on in your body, different traits that you have, characteristics of your personality, facial features. I mean, it's really interesting what he studied and he based that off Weston A. Price's uh, work actually. So it was founded off that believing that, you know, not one diet is going to work for everyone, um, especially in America where we really get screwy is we are by far, by far the biggest melting pot country in the world. So now you have people that, I mean, for me, I have European descent, Northern European descent. Um, and you can kind of just tell by people's skin color. Sometimes it helps. Like I get extraordinarily pale in the winter. The reason my skin does that is because that's a survival mechanism. What that allows me to do is when any little amount of vitamin D can be synthesized from, you know, the sun's rays, which cannot happen in the northern latitudes from like December to March. Like you can't make any vitamin D in PA right now. Nowhere in Pennsylvania can you do that right now until about uh, late February, early March. So my skin's so white. So that allows me to get more vitamin D. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's showing that historically I had lived in those areas and I'm probably going to be eating things that make more sense to that. If you are, I think, an African-American or a Latino, Latina, 
living near the equator, that's probably if anyone's going to be a vegan, I think those people could probably thrive off it the absolute best um, just because they have all of those things in their favor. And I mean, now I'm kind of just going off on a tangent. So I'll let you hop in because (laughs) yeah, the diet one's fun, but it's also all over the place for us. So (laughs) no, I find it, I find it interesting. Um, Just, I mean, you know, just like you said, just eating and knowing your constitution of where your body lies and how it can relate to the foods that you're eating. But I think that there's a way that you can honor your food. I mean, the way that the world is with food in general is so amazing when it comes to being able to eat. I mean, and I know just, you know, in Doylestown, you can eat real Italian food, you can eat Japanese food, Thai food, Indian food. Um, You can have Chinese food. You can eat any type of food you want. I mean, I'm trying to even think of the more crazy. I mean, we have Mediterranean food. We have we have everything here. I mean, mm-hmm. you can get some really good food here. And then, you know, you have your basic, you know, pub food. You have, um, you know, regular burgers and stuff. I mean, you can eat, but just those options that you're able to have those options is so amazing. I mean, I try to remember, you know, every time I go out, cause I'm a huge sushi head. I love sushi as everybody who knows me knows this. Cause I'm, addicted. <laughs> I'm highly addicted to it. Um, you know, it's just important to say thank you for your food and bless it yourself. Um, because people don't have that luxury. I always, always tell people the story of um, this man he was working on a cocoa bean factory and there was a guy I I think he was doing a documentary and he went up to the man who was working and he said sir you've how long have you worked here and I think the man said probably 10 15 years or something um I could totally be butchering that but I'm pretty sure it was that amount of time (laughs) um and he said oh, you must eat a lot of chocolate. And the man said, oh, no, I've never had chocolate. This man works on a cocoa bean farm. Wow. He does. He's never had chocolate. And I almost cried when the um, the cameraman hands this man a piece of chocolate. And the man eats it and his face just lights up and he goes, oh, my gosh, that's so delicious. That's so good. <laughs> it's like people that work at the places that are producing cocoa beans to make your chocolate and your you know crappy candy and all of that they've they've never even tried it so you have to be thankful for it and the fact that you can go out and eat whatever food you want and you can try all these different diets and afford that food I mean that's pretty amazing in itself um I just wanted to throw that out there because that is an amazing story to me. The fact that people that are growing and making your food, a lot of them probably have not even tried it. That's so ridiculous. Right. How can you not, how can you be working on a cocoa bean farm and not have tried chocolate? I mean, it's, it almost upsets me. I, I want everyone to be able to experience the luxuries of and comforts of food. And everybody has their own food and their own culture. And I think that most cultures know what, works for them and they have their traditions and um you know america does have its traditions for certain things but we also just are able to bring in you know food from all over the world 
and I'm, you know, a lot of grocery stores around the world do this as well. But I think, in, especially in America, food is just so trendy, and it's just sometimes when you watch cooking shows and things, you you want to think, oh my gosh, how much crap are we gonna put in this before I get sick? You know, um, whereas that's why I think diet culture gets so confusing because there's just t- so many options, you know? Yeah. And so that's like the gift and curse with America is the fact that, yes, it's beautiful. We have so much diversity. And the problem is we have so much diversity. Like it can make it really confusing. It's very easy to hop in all these different things. And then, you know, you have people, um, you might have someone that's lived in very, very Northern Europe, and now they're going out eating Chinese Indian food all the time, which does not fit with their heritage at all. It doesn't work with their genetics, most likely. And that's these things. But now, what's kind of cool is this. Even the worst meal in the world, the most unhealthy piece of crap food that you could possibly think of, and you ate it, it's never killed someone off one bite. So what we also need to realize is this is where it gets even more complicated. Because if a vegan diet killed you in one day, or a paleo diet killed you in one day, or whatever, It'd be so clear what the obvious winner is. But humans are resilient, man. And we really can, like, even if I know now I'm positive of what works best for me, just based on my objective, like, lab tests and subjective results. (laughs) Even if I went to something that's not as favorable for me, like, I'm going to feel not great. I do understand that. But I'm still going to be on this earth for a while. Like, that's not going to kill me tomorrow. Well, Um, yeah, and I think that's that's what comes with the balance and what I talked about when people, um, I forget if it was, I think it was France or Europe, Europe, France or Italy or something (laughs) like that. I can't remember which place it was exactly that my mom read the story from and she was telling me about it, but they, I mean, think about it. Italy and France are two places in the world that they are known for, you know, cheese and, carbs you know baguettes and cheese and pasta and pizza you know and they you know a lot of my friends they went abroad um their junior senior year of college and they were telling me that people there so they just look so happy um especially in italy it's like it's like soul food you're just it's just all made with love and it's all fresh ingredients and my grandparents actually went to Italy too and they were saying the same thing just it's crazy how people people aren't connecting their identity with what they eat whereas you go out to eat I mean I've served in a couple restaurants now you know people define their being by what they're eating and I don't think that's good because then that's such a narrow aspect of a a person's life you know food is important and we need it but also when you're constantly defining yourself by what you eat, where it's like, well, I don't eat this and I only eat that, but I can't have this, but I can't have that. You know, it, it becomes such a problem because you're also, I think in your brain, making yourself feel crazy and almost making some stuff up, you know, not like celiac disease is made up. But I think, I don't know. I know some people that have eaten gluten forever and never had problems. And then all of a sudden one day, now that it's trendy, they're like, well, I get so sick and I can't deal with it, and I'm not eating gluten anymore. And I'm sorry, but I just, I'm over hearing about <laughs> gluten and, um. Ah, see, it... that's interesting. I would make a very, very strong argument that no one in America, American gluten especially, because I have people that I've worked with. It's This is really, I love 
how many because i don't know if this is happening in your mind right now and i love how many like sub podcasts episodes this is going to go into because there are so many different categories like we could talk about chemicals and food and food between countries and you know different stuff like that but i have people that i've worked with they cannot eat wheat here but they can go to europe and eat wheat and they have no adverse reactions anymore that's true that is unfreaking believable and i I always contribute that mainly probably is because of the glyphosate sprayed here and the fact that we allow that so readily. And depending on the European country they're going to, glyphosate, which is uh, Roundup for those who don't know, might be completely banned. And I think people would appreciate knowing this here if you don't already. The American food system is not only the most diverse in the world, it is by far the worst. I mean, it is unbelievable the amount of things that we have that are straight up banned in other countries. Like you cannot use it. You cannot, definitely not allow someone to eat it. And we have it in kids products here. Um, Now, I think we've already been through the worst of it. Um, We're just coming. If, you know, if that was the trough, we're just coming back up on the other side, but we still have a hell of a way to go, but they'll use glyphosate to basically, it makes the wheat able to be harvested faster. And obviously gluten um, is in wheat amongst other things. Um, by the way, fun little acronym for people for gluten sensitivity, things like that is BROW, which is barley, rye, oats, and wheat. Now, oats are the only one in there that don't inherently have gluten, but the cross-contamination is so high that typically people um, with celiac disease, which is an autoimmunity to gluten, um, direct autoimmunity to gluten, because gluten seen in autoimmunity a lot, um, or gluten sensitivity or gluten allergy even, yeah, probably best to stay away um, from oats and things like that. Um, one of my million side notes, this podcast, but you know, when it comes to food, I can't resist. Um, <laughs> it's a passion. It's a right, life. right. And, and that's the thing. It's like, dude, the fact that we take this extremely powerful pest killer slash herbicide slash just kill everything in its track thing. And we spray the hell out of the food that we are about to eat with it is unbelievable whoever thought that was an okay thing to do or good idea. And now, thankfully, Monsanto, which is who, you know, manufactures um, Roundup or whatever, you know, they only lasted for so long. Monsanto is probably one of the most hated Instagram accounts I have ever seen. And that says a lot um, with politics in America in today's world. You go to Monsanto's Instagram, it's unbelievable. I don't even know why they leave it up. Um, It's a little better now than it was like three years ago, but it's crazy. The comments you get, it's pretty interesting. If you want to go check that out. Well, Um, I agree. Roundup is terrible. And I mean, I like $800 million in lawsuits now, Anna, like they lost, they lost $800 million already. Especially after that one man who came forward saying that he had, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Or yeah, was it cancer? Yeah, it was a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's the biggest one that they've correlated with it with right now. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with you in the sense where I think what I meant is that it's hard when people that I know have never had, or not that I know, but people that I, you know, acquaintances here and there, they say... (laughs) They've never had a problem consuming it. And, you know, I think you can build up a problem. And you should be aware of what flour you're getting. You know, I eat um, rice products. So I'll eat, you know, like rice pasta and things like that. Um, just because I prefer the taste of it, honestly. Um, but I think people that aren't 
they're just so strict about it that they actually kind of make a scene. I'm just thinking, okay, well then you have to kind of build your own system there. I can't really help, you know, when you're coming into the restaurant that I work at and freaking out because there's not a gluten-free option, you know, I can't really help you. Well, sure. Yeah. You can't unfortunately project it onto society. I mean, but the major thing is, I mean, the fact of the matter is organic wheat, best wheat in the world or not, whatever, no human being can digest all the gluten peptides properly. That's a fact. Um, so yeah, well, it plus really we don't is... chew properly. I mean, hu- <laughs> humans don't know how to chew. And I mean, listen, I'm really bad at this too. I will be so hungry that I will just swallow. Like, I will be like, oh my God, we got to get this in there. Let's go. Sure, sure. And then you don't chew properly. But of course, people aren't going to be able to fully process all the gluten because number one, it's half of it or more is just not even real. And then the other half of it is we don't know how to chew properly. So you're not even getting all the nutrients you need. But I think um, sometimes it's funny with the gluten thing, because to me, I think, well, of course, you're naturally going to feel better not eating gluten because before you were eating Twinkies and cake and really highly processed mac and cheese. You know what I mean? Whereas well, right. Yeah. Now, if you're switching over to a you know, a non-GMO crop, obviously you're going to feel better, but you know, people that just go crazy. I think it's a lot of people just hopping on the trend. And I wonder sometimes if it's more of a placebo effect for some, um, just because it is trendy. You know, I, I know people that have been on every diet and they are, they just like it because it's trendy. Like the paleo diet. I, you know, you're, you can't eat, you can't eat beets, but you can eat um, bacon dipped in butter. I don't get that. I feel like that's not smart. I feel like that's very strange to me. <laughs> but I don't know. I just find, why can't you eat certain vegetables and fruits, but you can have as much animal fat that's like processed as you want? I don't know. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Sure. Well, and they, I mean, again, that's where people kind of screw themselves with the certain stuff because yeah, you also talk, you're talking about quality. And of course, with like all things like bacon, like you have this like inherently processed um, thing. And I mean, yeah, gluten, I mean, it is funny though. And I love that we kind of have our differing viewpoints on that. Cause I gotta be honest. That is, I would say at this point, that is a universal, the only universal food that I have removed with every client because it is so consistently I find to be a problem and troublesome for them. And again, when we also talk about American wheat, that's mm-hmm. a whole nother layer of problem. I just had my buddy, Eric. Um, he was, it's someone I live with. Um, he was just trying the gluten thing and he's got some psoriasis going on. He's had that for a while and he has this, um, it, it's not like vitiligo, but it's, it's this discoloration in his face. I, I actually don't know what the technical diagnosis is because it kind of comes and goes. Um, but anytime I see something with skin too, I always, I'm looking at the gut. So I'm just like, all right, dude, because he's not really ready to make a full transformation yet. He feels decent enough otherwise. So I said, why don't you just try this, see what happens. Um, and he actually did not get results with any of the skin stuff, but he kept doing the gluten-free diet. And he's like, dude, I don't have bloating anymore. My stuff, like, he's like, I, he basically said to me, I didn't realize that I had all these things like happening to my stomach 
that I just don't feel anymore. Like I just thought it was a normal part of eating. So it's kind of cool. I mean, you got this 25 year old bro like dude that is now completely gluten free. Um, and that's good because God knows I need some more people um, that are typical dudes on the train with me. Cause everyone <laughs> just, I get looked at like, um, you know, some 40 year old stay at home white mom in the suburbs when I tell yeah. them that I'm gluten free. Um, so it's kind of hilarious, but yeah, I mean, you'd yeah, be a that, beautiful suburban mom. And... Right. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, for that one, I, I'm, yeah, I, I would probably stand by that. I just, I really don't, I think the fact that we can't digest it properly to begin with is pretty indicative of that. Um, and the fact that, you know, we've really only been, when you, when you look at grains in general, like there's only documentation showing that. I shouldn't say it's not technical documentation. I mean, research, you know, that has been documented showing that we've only been really eating grains for 10,000 years. And from evolutionary perspective, that's not even that long. Uh, But now certain other grains, you know, we do know that, yes, we can digest it all. And it's not really that big of a deal. So maybe that's not as black and white, I don't think. But it is interesting to me. You know, you have this wheat. None of us can digest it. Um, There's so it comes up so often and i'm a little biased because i'm always working with people with like autoimmune either mm-hmm. autoimmune spectrum type stuff or autoimmune diseases and like if yes if i had someone with autoimmunity sitting in front of me right now i know nothing about them i don't know what autoimmune disease it is i don't know the symptoms and we're not talking about lifestyle in general we're just saying okay what one food product should they take out every single time i'm saying gluten for autoimmunity there mm-hmm. are so many people i had uh probably the best success case that i had with that was one friend where, you know, she wasn't ready to make the commitment um, to full out, you know, it was like my buddy, Eric, you know, a lot of young, Anna, I mean, me and you can both relate to this. A lot of young people aren't ready to make the full commitment to it yet. They really have to have a lot of health issues going on. So I had her do one thing, especially because there's so much going on with um, thyroid issues and gluten um, because of something called molecular mimicry. Again, that's another conversation probably. But so my friend, she had this thing where her antibodies uh, went up to her antibodies to her thyroid were progressively going up from the time she was 15 years old to 25. And they went up a little bit each year, little bit each year, little bit each year. And over the course of a decade, it was getting pretty serious and mm-hmm. she didn't really feel that good. But what did they tell her? They said, to get an autoimmune diagnosis, like you really need to be pretty messed up by that point. So they said, listen, we don't, there's nothing to call this yet. Like you need to have full out hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism before we can call this something. So I said, you know, to my friend, and I'm just not mentioning names, obviously, because I, I'm not really sure if they want me to share this, to be honest. What we did, we had them just remove gluten for that. She felt so good within a week. And this is a 10 year issue. You know what I mean? So good within a week. This was two and a half years ago. She's never gotten back on this stuff. She doesn't do anything else health wise. Like she kind of eats a little organic when she can. But the number one thing she does is that because it took away all her health symptoms. Um, and I keep trying to get her. She never, um, I don't know, she's very a uh, spiritual person. So I don't know if she doesn't want to put it in her head or something. But she's never gone back from me and gotten the damn um, lab test. So I'm about ready to send a damn lab kit. Because obviously, you know, I can do that with my one certification. I'm about ready to send her a damn lab kit myself. Because if we can show, okay, listen, it progressively went up for 10 years straight. You did this one thing. And now all of a sudden it's down. That's pretty significant stuff, man. You know, well, so of course. I everybody's guess, yeah. unique, you know. If that is working for her, then she should definitely stick with it because 
everyone's so different. One thing is not going to work for everybody. That's why, like, like we said before, some people really do well with veganism and some whole families are vegan and they've been vegan for 10 plus years. And then there are some people that really feel sick being vegan and have health issues and, you know, and that just might be, be because it doesn't work for them. And I used to believe, you know, there is truly one diet that works for everybody. And now I just, I just know that that's so untrue because yeah. there's no way that one thing can work for anybody because that's, that law doesn't apply anywhere to any human being. I mean, everyone's so unique in their own way and has their own set of um, strengths and weaknesses when it comes to their body. And you, it's the same way you can't train all athletes the same exact way because, you know, a, a Olympic gymnast is going to need completely different training from an NFL player. You know what I mean? Sure. There's just no way. But, yeah. oh, they're both athletes, but... but we can't give them all the exact same training we can give them similar training we can give them similar things to do like strength training and endurance training but we can't you know have the nfl players doing floor routine strengthening and training and we can't have the girls and the olympics you know going and knocking into things you know they're gonna hurt themselves it's not it's kind of what i like to think when you know it's amazing that your client had such a transformation but then maybe some people need to remove something else from their diet to get that result it's just also interesting and it never stops i mean there's always more information that you can learn um about it right and well i think what you said with when you said like the perfect diet or whatever i think that's what we're all looking for when we get into the diet world um and it's just an oversimplification that comes from all of us myself included naturally as humans because we're looking for that one answer and we believe i i believe that too there has to be this one diet that's the perfect thing and that's what i was searching for um and that's why you know kind of long story short um if you asked me today what do i consider the perfect diet it's not that we were trying to clickbait anyone with you know the title but i would say organic seasonal using some common sense if something makes you feel like crap consistently stop eating it even if Seasonal, organic, and local. It could still make you personally feel like crap. And that's why I subscribe. If I put a label on anything that I do, it's metabolic typing um, now. Because metabolic typing is not a one-size-fits-all. It's a testing system that uses your personal traits and characteristics and um, you know your background and heritage to figure out what is going to be most ideal to you. And then on top of that has a built-in system for self-correction so that you can edit along the way as you're eating and trying these things to figure it out. So um, please feel free to look that up. Bill Walcott, Metabolic Typing. Um, I think it's called the Metabolic Typing Solution, actually, as the book. And it is phenomenal. Um, a little heavy um, if you're not really into science, stuff like that. Like It might be a little much for the average just typical dieter. But again, totally worth it. Or feel free to reach out to me. I can answer questions um, to the best of my ability. Um, with that but that's kind of what I consider you know the quote-unquote perfect diet more or less and the last thing I'll say about the gluten because it's funny you know people remove it and the saddest saddest thing with that is when people remove gluten they're losing sometimes their biggest source of b vitamins and people are like b vitamins for gluten because if you know nutrition like what the hell that's because fortified wheat is the number one source of b vitamins in America. I mean, this is ridiculous that that's where people are getting the bulk of their 
B vitamins. So yes, you do have to be smart about also how you replace it. Not that fortified wheat was probably a great place to be getting those to begin with. And at a I mean, yeah, place. you're just, you're making it stripped of nutrients and you're putting stuff back in and it just doesn't really make any sense, but okay, right. guys. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, that also like, you got to know what you're doing with that, which is also iron uh, or excuse me, uh, there's an irony coming back to um, the organ meats and stuff. I mean, again, I actually, I haven't brought myself to full out eat the organ meats yet. You know, I've been spoiled by delicious muscle meat um, for the my whole life, except those nine to 10 months. And um, one of the best sources in the world of B vitamins and things like that. So you notice um, huge improvements in certain things and, and great for like heart health type stuff. I think it's B4 that they banned. You can't actually even sell it as a supplement. Um, and what it does is it stops like, uh, you guys, please do your own research on this because this is something I haven't um, had to bring up in a while. So I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Um, but what it does is it stops like spasming, like these like short, violent spasms. So one of the things I noticed is I stopped getting, when I started um, using, you know, organ meat supplements, I use heritage glandulars, by the way, um, for those interested. I don't have a discount code, unfortunately, or anything, but that's just what I use. And I noticed like my Charlie horses in my, have you, you know what a Charlie horse is? Like you've had that before? Oh God. Yeah. Ballet. Okay. That gotcha. Yeah. Those run away in my legs. I used to get those all the time or I'd wake up in the middle of sleep and I would be like, I have a Charlie horse in my freaking calf and it sucked. But the other thing is that's super interesting about that is the B4 when you have a heart attack, like it's been shown that it's really good for stuff like that. And it is sad. I, this is totally anecdotal. I'm not saying this is the reason. It's just something I'll throw out there. Two men that I knew, 10 plus years uh, being vegans, which is statistically rare as hell. I think 90% never make it past two years on a vegan diet. And um, both, one died of a heart attack locally, and the other one had a very serious issue um, with his heart, which resulted in an immediate surgery. So I will also make the argument with that. I don't know if you've come across this, because again, this is this is not only, not, a, not only anecdotal, but it's kind of subjective and just my opinion. I almost believe now that men were probably more designed to eat more meat and women should probably have some, but I do think that they can probably thrive a little better um, than a man could on maybe more of a plant-based diet. Have you noticed that at all? Do you think that's true? Or is that totally? Well, well, I can, I agree with, I can agree with that. The only thing that I find that could be um, a different opinion was when I watched Honestly, Ed, you should watch the documentary just to get another perspective and see for yourself because it was really interesting how they said that um, the two doctors on the Forks Over Knives um, documentary, um, Dr. Coswell Esselstyn, I think his name is. I don't want to butcher it. Um, he did a study with um, mice uh, where when they would feed them um, casein um, from dairy and stuff mm -hmm. um, they were turning on and off cancer cells by how um, much casein they were feeding them so um, the more casein they fed them the cancer cells turned on and then the less they fed them the cancer cells turned off and the same thing with heart disease they were seeing less in people that had more plant-based diets um, but like I said for me, yeah. aren't these the same guys though that did what the health or am I incorrect?
Are they older? Sorry, you cut off um, a little bit there. I'm pretty, I've noticed now, now I'm learning what I hear on my end will show up on the podcast. What did you say? Because I said, are those the same guys that did what the hell? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I have not seen what the hell are they older doctors? Okay. I could be wrong. I don't want to say that because I feel like someone just recommended a newer documentary to me that was created by the same um, founders of what the hell. And I don't know if it's that one. I don't know that at all. Um, I was just wondering because what the health was something that if you're into this doc, I'm so skeptical of the documentaries, unless what's the, there's nothing wrong with the documentaries themselves, if you're willing to do your research, but the documentaries are on both sides on the side that agrees more with what I'm saying versus, you know, the side that agrees more with veganism, whatever they throw some crazy shit in there because they know people aren't going to look it up. What the health? was so this is a vegan documentary for those that don't know was so bad that the owner of vegan.com you can still look up this article by the way it's from march of uh, a few years ago vegan.com search bar what the health first thing that comes up click on that article the owner of vegan.com says what the health was so bad and so irresponsible with the science that they do not want to be associated with people like that in our industry. And really? that's again, yeah, that article's still there. I just showed this to someone actually a week ago. I was it came up randomly in conversation. Um maybe that's why it's on my brain right now. But like the fact first of all, I actually have more respect if anything now for vegan.com because the fact that you know they could say, hey, you know what, I agree with these people's end result, but I don't agree to how they came to that. And me and you are both like that, where we say, you know, we respect the thought process more than the opinion. So, again, I don't want to say that the fork and knives thing is from that. I just heard that one documentary that I got recommended recently was the same people coming out again. And I'm just like, what the hell? And it's a shame because there's a lot of people I knew that were sharing the hell out of what the hell. And it's B. Like, it wasn't even real. Like, oh, the, some of the like, stuff was just lying. This is the one that, like, pretty much almost got withdrawn from... Um, wasn't it from TV? It actually got like a with, it got withdrawn because it was so terrible. It, is oh, that, is that right? I don't know if it actually did. Like you know, you know, rumors go around. But forks over knives is, I think it's older, and it's based off of. Do you know the China study and everything? They have a whole part about the China study where they took all these people. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't even remember names. They took all these people and they did, um, they just kind of monitored what they were eating and monitored their disease level based on what kind of diet they were eating and the plant-based diet. I mean, it's a whole book. The China study is a, a really giant Right, book. I'm very familiar with this, yes. Yeah, it's based around, it's like that. Um, they really talk about that and they talk about um, more so just getting healthy with the plant-based diet. Um you know, they're, they're talking more about incorporating plants into your diet. Not, I don't, to me, and this is just me personally, I feel the message is not pushing veganism. I feel like it is pushing plant-based, which I like to say plant-based because I think plant-based sounds more incorporating of the nature aspect and um, vegetable aspect into your diet. Not necessarily saying you can't eat this or you're going to be like you're going to be feeling terrible, you know, things like that. Right. Um, and then there was the guy um, who did fat sick and nearly dead. And he was just about, 
him kind of going on a juice cleanse for 30 days uh, throughout America and just getting juice. And he had a lot of health issues that he wanted to reverse. So he did that. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah. And I think, listen, I just think when it comes to diet, like I said before, you just have to find what works for you. But if you're eating, you know, paleo or vegan and you're feeling terrible and you've been doing it for, you know, months and you're feeling worse or terrible or nothing's fixing it you know go off do something different you have to you have to be your own researcher and do that for yourself because otherwise you're just going to get stuck and be in this loop of constantly trying to lose weight constantly trying to feel better constantly 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 and um I mean even for myself this is the first year where you know I'd been doing a lot of really really clean eating monitoring always watching and this year is the first year that I haven't really been doing that and yes I try to be balanced in everything and you know I do have a sweet tooth and I do enjoy all kinds of food and I'm just kind of enjoying it and not going crazy with anything and I mean and I'm not just and I'm just not stressing about it like yeah it's the holiday season you might gain a few pounds but knowing how to get back on track by being like okay this is a healthy food and I just think balance is key you know, have your proteins and your carb of choice and your veggie of choice and some fruit and, you know, do it that way and just get a little bit of everything so you don't have to feel like I can't eat this or I'm going to freak out, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not including the people that actually have a problem with the food. I mean, people that are in diet culture that freak out if they can't eat certain things, you know, it it's not healthy for you. It stresses you out. And it's really hard to constantly be worrying about what you're eating all the time. Um, I think that for a while I was trying to eat healthy to fix my acne problem. And honestly, I will be honest, um, just enjoying my food and eating more, you know, trying to eat more plants and just relaxing a little bit more about it and not freaking out if I did have something that was considered bad. I think that that's actually what help my skin more than me freaking out about food and I think it's the same way with weight loss whereas you're if you're freaking out about everything you're eating your body's naturally going to hold on to that because it's it's you're in flight mode you're having adrenaline over it you're freaking out you're like oh my god I, I can't lose weight it's driving me crazy uh, and then your body's holding on to that fat naturally whereas if you were just trying to eat cleaner but you enjoyed yourself every once in a while I think you'd be okay. And I think that that would actually help contribute to weight loss. But then Ev, I know that, you know, you like to go to the extreme and you don't really touch things that you know are bad for you. Not all the time, but a lot. And I don't mean to be dramatic, um, but I think you know my story well enough. But for anyone listening, I have been, especially in terms of mentally, so sick in my life that what I do now, I think a lot of family members, like will call me disciplined or whatever. I'm like, guys, this isn't discipline. Like this is a no brainer to find something that worked for me when I felt like I was progressively losing my mind for mm-hmm. 12 years of my life. And then to get that back. And cause I was always a sharp kid when I was younger. That was honestly really the only thing I ever had going for me. Like, I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't good at talking to people. Um, so like that was my thing. <laughs> And now I'm like losing that. Like I can't learn anymore. I can't remember things well. And to get that back and have my clarity and have my thoughts and have my skin go from, it's not that my skin's perfect nowadays or anything. You know, I still get breakouts here and there. It looks great. But it was horrific. And you know, I only use water. I don't use any products on Mm -hmm. my feet. 
Like this is a true natural healing to have a diagnosis of Meniere's disease, which is an autoimmune disease of the inner ear and be told I'm going to be on a medication for the rest of my life and not be on that medication. I think if people understood the things that diet has done, for, it saved my life because mm-hmm. I got, there was two phases in my life where, and I've never acted on any of these things. Um, not directly. That's for sure. But where I've thought about, you know, unfortunately, I don't, again, I don't mean to get too dramatic on anyone, but you know, taking my own life. And one was when my depression was at its worst. And then number two, I wasn't necessarily depressed, but it was when my health was the worst. And I'm kind of like, I'm getting out of the mental health funk a little bit. I got in a lot of trouble in school and I'm really starting to get stuff back on track. I'm around some good people. Life seems to be getting a little better. And then I get this diagnosis of the Meniere's disease. And I'm just like, when am I going to feel better? When is this going to end? Like, when do I get a break? And that for me is why I take this stuff so seriously now. Um, so yes, I just compared to everyone else, I would say it is a little extreme, but if people understood the transformation that I've gone through and the things that I felt, it, it is the simplest decision that I make every single day to eat the way that I eat. And now at this point, it's a habit. Anything permitted increases. So you do anything bad long enough, it's going to have a tendency to increase. You do anything good for you long enough, it's going to have a tendency to increase. Um, for those, if you go on my Instagram profile, at Evan Transu, you scroll down, probably uh, anywhere between 40, 50 posts back. Um, so it's going to be a little bit back. You'll see a horrific picture of me with some of the worst acne in my life. Just the first thing that I did was switch to an all organic diet. So I was still eating whatever the hell I wanted, even some like kind of snack foods. They were just organic snack foods. That face cleared up 70% in about a month of switching to just organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just shows you how much toxic crap is in our food. That's not a placebo, man. Like, yeah. give me a break. Like, that's more than that. You know what I mean? So I think for me, yeah, this just the things that I've seen, not in my, not only in myself, because originally it was myself, but I'm kind of wondering, like, am I alone out here? Um, but the practitioners that I work with, with functional diagnostic nutrition, I mean, I'm one of the more tame people in there. I have people that have had skin cancer d- being told they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And then they're still here 15 years later. And they said, this is what worked for me. I changed yeah. this in my lifestyle, changed my diet around. And this is what's helped me. I mean, these are controversial statements in a lot of ways, you know, and I think it offends certain people. You got to be careful what you say. I don't mean to say that this stuff is easy and it's not common knowledge. It's becoming more, there's more of an awareness of it now, but uh, you know, again, I'll stop reiterating the same thing. I just, again, yeah, I think for me, it's just had such a profound impact that I I can't do anything else. I I can't. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is amazing. And I fully support that. I think that that's great. I just know that For me, I think that my difference comes from, I would love to do, and I have done it, where I've eaten 100% clean. I've been so good with the organic and the way that I choose my food and eat. And I think the only problem I have is I think I was borderline. I had like a very way of disordered eating. Um, Ev, you and I have talked about this before, where I just, I get obsessive and it hurts. And I, I start losing a lot of weight and until I can find a balance for myself where I feel like I don't get overly, um, I wouldn't say that I have like orthorexia or anything crazy like that. I mean, that is kind of an obsession with being healthy. Um, and that's kind of where I was getting. Um, and I really admire that, 
that is how you do things and that is what worked for you because I know that that does work and eating well is so important. And I do eat really well. I mean, everybody knows I am a health nut, but I think it comes to when I overly obsess about everything when it comes to food, I get, I just wind up freaking out and I get really obsessive and I do start really monitoring what I eat. And I think that just comes from a bad, um, bad habits from my life, which is kind of why I got into health in the first place, because I, um, I didn't want to feel constantly like I was out of control with food and I wanted to have the knowledge to really apply to my own life. Um, And I think now I'm kind of on the more spiritual side of it, which is just having a good relationship with my food and, you know, yes, focusing on where it comes from and that it's good. And I am getting nutrients, you know, like the other day, I don't know if anybody sees my posts on my Anne's plants, but I made, um, root veggie soup and that I love making soups. I love um, adding greens and healthy pastas and pestos. And that's my thing. I do love cooking and I love making food um, that's healthy, but I also, I'm not going to beat myself up. You know, if I want to have cake at my birthday or, um, you know, have a treat or have Christmas cookies, because to me, that's the thing that would stress me out and actually make, you know, my, body my face freak out is when I get really overly controlling and stressed and um I just think that that's what works for me but I love the fact that you also did it in a more strict way and you feel better than you've ever felt because most people don't know what it's like to actually feel good you know most people are just kind of wandering around lost and are like I don't know what's working I don't know what's gonna work for me I don't know how to do this and it's disheartening you know? Well, yeah, and you and so you're just being smart because what me and you are both doing fundamentally is that we're just doing what works best for us, and that's the whole point. If you're doing something that makes you feel more stressed, well, that's completely counterintuitive to the whole point. There's with me, and I guess with the whole the colleagues that I surround myself with as well. You have to understand, and again, I, I hate saying this because I, I don't, I get, I don't want to sound dramatic. It's just like. I've been sick since I was five. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like there's been something wrong since I was five. Like, it's like, you gotta, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim with anything that's ever happened to me or things like that. But you still have to be realistic and like, dude, this isn't a good hand. Like this was shitty. It, it's crappy that, you know, I couldn't eat any of the things or I, or I'll put it this way. I was going out with my friends in high school doing the exact same things that they were doing, except I'm like dying mm-hmm. and they all feel oh, otherwise. That's- Oh, that's me. It's, it's the thing like, like I was telling you earlier, when I try to go out drinking with my friends, I don't know how people drink in college on, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday. I just don't know how people do it because I go out one night and I'm dying alcohol on my body. It immediately makes my face look terrible. I immediately feel sick. Like I immediately get so grossed out depending i mean you know like i'll drink beer and stuff but hard liquor and me are just not friends we just don't get i mean it's poison it's poison it is it's gross i just don't like it and yes of course when i'm out i try to drink every time and i normally just want beer (laughs) normally everybody's just saying no you should drink this and you should take shots and (laughs) i just hate it because some people can you know it's the same thing where um some people they 
can eat like shit and they can drink a crap ton of alcohol and they look fine and then there's people like you and I where we will either eat something really that has a really hard effect on the body like alcohol for me is something that I know immediately even if I am indulging like that's gonna make me break out and that's gonna make me feel sick right Um, but some people are fine with it and that's what I mean how everybody's so different it's like some people can binge drink and be fine and be fine the next day and look fine. And some people really can't. And it's the same thing with food. And I think if we just start looking at food in that way, everybody's going to have such a better peace of mind where, you know, don't do what your friends are doing. Don't be on the diet that your friends are on. Try things if they sound interesting, but if they don't work for you, you have to go to the next thing because that's just the way it works. Yeah. And that's actually a really Okay, because what I was about to say is, like, <laughs> we're at, like, almost an hour and 20 here. I think it's amazing because we're really, like, we're in our space right now. Mm-hmm. And we literally could probably talk for an additional five to ten hours with unique, <laughs> with unique things to say. Like, yes. something that hasn't been said yet. So, maybe we should wrap this one up now and kind of put the end on that. But I want to make sure we still, especially the people that hung in this whole time, they get yes. what they kind of came for when we're talking about um the best diet and i think you've said it i think i've said it in our own ways but just to kind of be concise like for you what would be your one to three tips maybe that you would look for for people for the quote-unquote best diet i would say best diet and i hate to even call it this but just balance like balance is key i would say coming from a person so i'll give you a sample just like an idea of my ideal plate it would be you know normally i'll have some rice and then for protein it'll be like beans or fish and then I'll have um you know some type of green or vegetable and then you know that's kind of what I eat um on a really good day and I do eat sushi and stuff but you know I just think that balance is key and filling your plate with a lot of good things that are just really good for you that's the best thing you can do instead of being super picky about everything but to me I just think balance is key and I think that's the best diet because I can't label it because I've tried so many and balance is the one thing that's actually worked for me I love what okay I love that you just said the plate thing too that's like so cool I'm definitely stealing that (laughs) I love Um, the plate it's so cute it's like half you know half veggies and then you have your protein your fist of protein and you have your fist of carbs um there's a guy on Instagram I'll just throw this out um his name is Magnus Lidback um he trained um Alicia Vikander and um who plays Lara Croft and he did Wonder Woman and he did Tarzan and um, he did what's his face from Split the guy with the multiple personality okay and he trains these people like crazy but he always has such a really lovely way of talking about food and it's always really fresh organic food and um, he really always talks about like you know using um you know, your plate as a guideline and just saying, okay, well, just fill it up with greens and then fill it up with your protein and your carb and then you're good to go. You know, he's not being super strict about it. And that's, and he always says, no, out of 17 days, have like three cheat meals, quote unquote, or have three desserts, like have a dessert, three out of those 17 meals. And I just think that he is a really cool guideline for that because um, that's just the way that I prefer to eat so I really like to follow his 
guidelines. Um, well, right. And that's great. I think probably for the average person, because again, it always comes back. Like, where are we coming from? Are we talking about someone that feels good and wants to lose 10 pounds or someone that's like chronically sick and ill? Because mm-hmm. yeah, if you're like chronically sick and ill, yeah, I'm sorry. Like it's not time to be having cheat meals once a week. Like if you are truly sick, like autoimmune spectrum type oh, yeah. stuff, guess what? That really, that can put you back days because of the way that your body's going to react to it. And I'm yeah. sorry. Like, that's just, that's just what it is though. Um, but so I would say for average person, then I would say balance because that is, I think that's just what works for me. And I think that it's a really nice way to go about food and not be so freaked out by everything. Um, but that's just me. So what would sure. you say? What would you say is your ideal diet? for the average human being not we're taking out sickness because obviously depending on your sickness you need a special type of diet for that but um, i would agree and i definitely believe in more restriction the sicker um you are and i think that becomes very not only obvious to the people that are sick but actually easy because they see that it works um but i am repeating myself because i did say it already but i would say if i had you know any random person and they're like all right well what should i do i don't know anything about them right i'm just average person organic local and local inherently assumes seasonal because if you're buying it locally that means it had to be grown within the season um so or well assuming it's not packaged crap organic local and then common sense and what i mean by the common sense is okay right now it is you know getting to be winter up where we live so there was some snow on the ground today in about a month there'll probably be snow that sticks for a while great maybe you know whatever 200 300 years ago um 400 500 years ago even native americans still having a great time and they kill one of the cows or a buffalo or whatever and they eat that right okay that makes sense that's organic and it's local fine common sense though if you eat that and you feel like crap there could be reasons just things going on with your body there's a lot of variables to this stuff that doesn't work but that's the common sense part right and then you can almost i think we would call that like intuitive eating right um but that's where you use the common sense like just because it works for them might not work for you and maybe you need to eat the cow instead of the buffalo i don't know um but like just stuff like that being conscious of what you're doing like really thinking about how did the meal that i just ate affect me 30 minutes from now 60 minutes from now 90 minutes from now thinking about stuff like that um but the organic and local is stuff that i cannot stress enough know your farmers or at least know the people who know the farmers like you gotta know where the hell your food is coming from because in the regular world 100 percent of it's bs in the organic world a solid 70 80 percent of it's not great either unfortunately so you really got to be conscious to find that good quality um stuff and that's probably the thing that i would say for tonight i love it i think that's important too it's a lot of stuff goes into it but when it comes down to it organic and intuitive and balanced eating i think is the best yeah we're gonna have to literally do a whole what i learned from tonight is this we're gonna have to do a whole series (laughs) and we are going to actually have to be a little more systematic with how we break this down like we probably can do mini podcasts like maybe like 25 to 30 minutes of why is organic beneficial because some people if you go online depending on the propaganda you read and it is propaganda um that organic has no benefits whatsoever and that is um 
BS, in my opinion. So we, we can have a lot of fun with these little different things. So if you have somehow listened to all of this, especially as our first episode. Yeah, first thank of you all, guys. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> um, second of all, tell us, <laughs> yeah, tell us which parts you actually liked. Um, and tell us which parts like, you want to hear about first because yeah me and Ann will get to work and I, I think that'd be really cool to kind of do a little these little sub podcasts of this maybe big one so we don't end up going for an hour and a half again yeah I mean honestly guys not gonna lie this is just how Evan and I have conversations um, you're kind of just listening the whole thing about our podcast is honestly I think it's just us going public with our private conversations um, and yeah that's and this is why it works it's like all right well all we're doing now is instead of the normal phone call, we just call each other on the Anchor app, basically, which I love. Totally free. Really cool. And then, you know, I take about 10 minutes to figure out the editing and stuff, and then we publish it. So if we can do that, and that potentially leads to some maybe extra networking or business or um, a few of you wonderful people choose to donate to the podcast, that's cool. Like, that works, that works for me. That's totally worth the extra time. So um, I love it. But, yeah, me and you, we, we joked one time, like, there's more times – than not that we've been on the phone for an hour plus than just a quick like five minute hey what's up kind of thing which is hilarious well and um, it's, it's just because we get on a topic and we don't shut up i mean we yeah. just don't stop it's kind of <laughs> yes i don't know how extroverts. we even have conversations this long we we are just both talkers i think we just don't run out of stuff to talk about um and plus, you know, it's not like we're talking like this every day. No, it's normally every once in a while before we started doing the podcast that Evan and I would actually talk. But um, it is long, so maybe we should wrap it up before people get bored and want to kill them. Yeah, well, I also wanted to publish this tonight. And by the time, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to make moves quick because, yeah, by the time I even get this out, it's going to be a little late. So, all right. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Um, please give us some feedback and let us know what you thought about the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but for now, you've been listening to the Ann and Ev podcast, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Bye, guys.